I am Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie. And we're paranormal specialists who live in the most haunted city on earth, Savannah, Georgia. Every day is Halloween in our line of work, so join us as we spin true tales of haunts, murders, and disturbing Savannah history. I'm Madison. I'm Chris. And, and welcome, welcome to, to the most haunted city on earth. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the most haunted city on earth. My name is Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie. And today we have a very special guest with us. We have Miss Pat Gunn here. Uh, she is local to Savannah. She's a historian. She's a Gullah Geechee native. And um, she is basically here to teach us all about everything that there is to do with Gullah Geechee folklore and um, all sorts of things. So, Miss Pat, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, both of you, for allowing me to come and share who I be and who my culture uh, represent. Um, we are Gullah Geechee people on this Georgia coast. Uh, the Gullah Geechee community, for those that don't know the culture, is um, an actual federal corridor now as of 2008. The federal government identified 20 different communities around the nation that were endangered, and we're on the list. Now, we're on the list as number 13, so I'm not really feeling that 13. <laughs> but we're on the list as endangered because we have a lot of elders that are leaving here, and they're leaving without the newer generations understanding the linkages to the African descendants um, that came here by way of the transatlantic slave trade. And so to make a long story short, the Gullah Geechee community strength are about 2.5 million descendants that are in four states, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and some parts of uh, Florida. So on the coast of Georgia, you have what I would identify as urban communities of Gullah Geechee. Uh, 15 minutes across the bridge, Talmadge Bridge, you've got South Carolina, and you have more of a rural culture of Gullah Geechee. So what am I saying? I'm saying that I speak Gullah Geechee in terms of the dialect very well on the Georgia side. If I get together with somebody from the Carolinas, as we say, um, I'm probably good about 10 minutes, and then <laughs> the tongue gets thicker on the Carolina side, and I'll say, wait, wait, what did you say? And so um, it's different based on culture of the rural versus the urban. Um, there are so many genres, if I may, of the Gullah Geechee culture. So I don't want people to think it's just one thing. It's like a whole combination or culmination. So let me just um, break it down to say, for me, I have identified because my mother is from Georgia. She's uh, um, from the Geechee side. My father is Carolina, which is Gullah. So Gullah uh, comes from the direct link of the Angola uh, tribes. And Geechee comes from the Gizi tribe from the Liberian side. Now, people think and have distorted this to say, oh, it's a division line between the Ogeechee River. No such a thing. We are the ones that know the going ons around here, and we are the ones that got to tell you the truth. Gullah and Geechee are direct descendants from about eight tribes that came to Savannah and built the place, so it's a lot. But back to the genres, when you talk to a Gullah Geechee uh, person on the coast, Georgia, 
in Carolina, you're talking about um, a culmination of Gullah Geechee folkways, foodways, spirituality, water rights, environmental rights, burial rights. I mean, I can just go on and on in terms of that. So you're looking at those particular areas. When you say we, um, we need to share some of our Gullah Geechee ghost stories, um, I don't really have any ghost stories because Gullah Geechee people don't like ghosts. They don't <laughs> like no ghosts, no such a thing. We engage ourselves with spirits. And so uh, I don't want to meet any ghosts. I used to have a walking tour. I got to confess, it was called Hags, Haints, and Spirits. We did it one night, and it was so scary, I canceled it. Really? It was so scary, it was scary to me. I walked down those squares, and I saw the Spanish moss on the trees, and I'm telling you, the Spanish moss began to wave from side to side. I looked up in the sky, and there was a blue orb. I heard about blue orbs, but Lord of mercy, I saw it. And it started coming towards me. I checked people to the left and the right. Do you see that? They said no. I'm like, okay, this is going to be the last time I'm out here at night. I would love to do a ghost walk at night, but um, it's just not a flavor for Gullah Geechee people. Why? Because there are burials there all over downtown of my ancestors, and they are not pleased. So I don't want to tamper with them. I don't want to make them angry. But I can tell you there's a lot of spirits downtown. I can tell you that I've uh, interacted with lots of them in the squares myself. I'm not afraid. I think that um, I have some linkages to them, and I think that they're trying to kind of, quote, unquote, channel me to get things done. And so, um, yeah, there are lots of uh, uh, Gullah Geechee spirits, African spirits that are out there all over downtown. Absolutely. And so uh, I'm honored to share Stories of ghost tales, but they're not ghosts per se, spirits. Absolutely. Yes. Well, and I, th- I think that's important to note, you know, um, whenever you're talking about folklore or um, spirituality, it varies in every single culture. Yeah. Um, and it's important to note those differences. Absolutely. Um, so you, you mentioned the burial grounds that are around downtown. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about those? Uh, I know that formerly known as Calhoun Square, it's unnamed at the moment, but yes, yes. Um, that one in Whitfield Square is also where the original burial grounds Absolutely. were. Yeah. Uh, would you say that's probably where the bulk of it is, or is there other places that we might not know about? All over downtown. This past uh, 2022, um, I got a call. It was a confidential call. A young man was working with the work site on Broughton Street, and he was digging, you know, the, the, the bulldozer or whatever, and um, he discovered bodies on Broughton Street. Mm-hmm. Um, he took pictures and video. He talked to his project manager, and they said, um, did you take pictures? He said, yes. He said, you're fired. Hmm. They fired him. He called me, or his contact called me and said, they're on Broughton Street. I asked questions like, how many? Mm, about a half a block. Um, were they in caskets? Were they in clothing? Did you see any bodies? They were all in a row, Sister Pat. And they had this sharpish colored uh, covering over them that was brown. I said, that's cheesecloth. You see, there were no 
cemeteries for enslaved people from 1748 to 1851. So if you died downtown in the planter's house, he just dug a hole in his backyard six feet deep, wrapped your body in cheesecloth, and dumped you, uh, took the shovel, put the dirt down, and watched this. He'd flip it over and just smooth it out. So you have lots and lots of unmarked burials downtown. Well, the project manager, I can say this now, said, don't tell anyone. And if you tell someone you are on probation for a felony, you're going to go back to jail. So he was so afraid, he would not tell me where they were, what part of Broughton Street. I listened to the story. I talked to some of the friends. They said he's very afraid. So I went down there myself. Uh, It was uh, just beginning to get dark that evening. And I walked Broughton Street from Barnard and Broughton all the way down to Bull. And uh, I was able to actually get into the project site. It didn't have a no trespassing sign. So I was able to enter the gate and I walked the area. And as I walked the area, I said my prayers. I felt my ancestors' spirits. I said, I know you're here some way. I was very sad. I know you're here. And so as I began to walk, I could see where the project had dug in and I could see where the project manager was rushing to put these rocks on top. It was like a fast-paced project. Let's get the gravel, and let's just do this over. So I know we were running out of time. I walked, I walked, I walked, and when I got to the corner of Bull and Broughton, it's like my whole energy changed. It's like my heart began to race. I said, they're in this area somewhere. Uh, Two or three days passed. No one would uh, give us the video, and so I called up the county coroner. I said, if I find these bodies, can you stop this project? He said, yes, but I have to have some evidence. We had no evidence. A few days later, I went over to the site in the daytime, and I saw one of the workers. And I said, listen to me carefully. I know you don't want to lose your job, but just nod your head because I know people are watching you. That's how Gullah Geechee do. You know, we just kind of talk. And I got to him because I know he was Gullah Geechee. I said, ah, these bodies here, did you see them? He said, yes, ma'am. I said, are they in this area still? Yes, ma'am. Are you guys uncovering them, or are you getting ready to pave over? We're getting ready to pave over. I contacted the mayor. I said, you know, there are bodies down here. From Calhoun to Whitfield, we know that. But they're all over downtown. We have the maps. And so we've got some bodies on Broughton Street. He said, if you can get the young man to talk. Tell him we're not going to, we'll find him another job, he said. Tell him to talk. And so we tried and tried, and we were not able to do it. Um, A week later, a big press story comes out. Someone told. One of those workers couldn't take it anymore. And so those bodies were uncovered on Broughton Street. And guess where? On Broughton and Bull, the same place I walked. So Gullah Geechee people move in the spirit. We can enter a room and tell you whether or not this is a good space or a bad space based on the fact that there's an energy about it. It's either a cold energy or a warm energy or an uncomfortable energy or it's, it's just a vibe that we know. Um, I've gone to plantations. I've gone and stepped off the boat at Osaba Island. I've gone to Sapelo and all. 
And every time I go to a plantation, I'm telling you this is what's happening. They'll say, we know slaves were here on this plantation, so that means that they were buried here, but we don't know where. And I'll take my Gullah Geechee uh, entourage with me, and they'll say, they're right over there. How do you know that? Because of our burial rites, all African-American cemeteries in the South always have their headstones buried and pointed towards the east, towards home, towards Africa. So that means that whatever plantation I step on, on that plantation, my people are buried to the east. And sure enough, when they discover it, they're buried there. So there's uh, all kinds of uh, ghosts, quote-unquote, for some that believe that. But we believe there's a spirits. And in downtown Savannah, we have the maps. And it's an approximate 3.7-mile radius of buried uh, enslaved West Africans downtown. Whitfield is the Negro burial ground. Uh, you know, Calhoun is the strangers. But realistically, it's all over downtown. And um, we're way overdue, based on the ancestors' quote-unquote anger here, to have some type of commemoration. So that's why we wanted to have Calhoun and Whitfield to be um, the designated places to get them off of those squares because, let me get this straight, John C. Calhoun, Vice President of the United States, Secretary of War, and the number one pro-slavery advocate in his century, as well as the designer, or should I say the co-designer, of the Trail of Tears, where he walked indigenous people from Georgia to Oklahoma, and he's standing on top of my ancestors, Oh, yes, he's got to go. Yeah. <laughs> so it's sacred places and spaces downtown that have spirits everywhere. Indeed. Absolutely. Indeed. That is so insightful, honestly, and really fascinating to hear because um, I've never heard about the headstones facing east. That's yes. so interesting. Um, mm -hmm. So it would be the same way at like Laurel Grove Cemetery South um, as well? As well, absolutely. Um, as well as... Um, in terms of respect, even statues. The statue that's on River Street, that's the African-American statue, is also intentionally pointed towards the east. That was a part of the discussion. The problem comes in when someone that's not an African-American decides that they're going to commemorate and they don't, quote-unquote, check in with the community, that culture. You have to check in. Um, shout out to Mr. Kessler. You have to check in. You have Dr. Martin Luther King on the river, and we appreciate that. But when they did the unveiling, people booed. Why are they booing? Because you have Dr. King pointed towards South Carolina. Oh. You need to turn him towards Africa. Mm. And uh, maybe things will go a little bit better down there, but uh, we're not <laughs> pleased with him being turned, looking over the river to South Carolina. He should be pointing towards uh, the east, towards Africa. And the Gullah community, they're very serious about those kinds of things. They really, really are. Yes. Absolutely. Um, now, you mentioned uh, haints and things like that. Can uh, you explain maybe a little bit further of what haints are for um, some of our listeners who might not be from uh, the region? Yes. <laughs> but Well, you know, uh, growing up, you know, our elders always told us, you know, that um, a haint is a spirit, but it is an evil spirit. And so these medical doctors, you know, they have all their own diagnostics, but 
you would rise in the morning and say, my back is killing me. Oh, my, my neck, everything. I don't know what happened last night. And an elder would say, a hag rolled your back. What do you mean, Mima? A hag rolled my back. Yes. That means that they believe that evil spirits can come in at night and they can ride your back. And what they're trying to do is enter your soul. And so uh, you complain of aches and pains. You go to the doctor and he'll say, oh, it was just the way you were sleeping. You had a bad position for breathing. So that's why the pain comes. Uh, the Gullah Geese community says it's a hag. It's an evil spirit that came into the house, which is why you always want to always roll with some blue, you know, uh, indigo blue protection all around. Even today, I just, you know, I put on this, this uh, outfit and I said I'm going to wear some, some green. You know, I love green. But on the way in, I grabbed some blue because <laughs> I got to have some blue somewhere near me because I don't want them hate to come get me because I don't like paints and hags and things like that. And so I really think it's true. Um, 30 years in corporate America, I've returned home, and I'm still Gullah Geechee. So even though I've been in corporate America, I'm telling you that even in corporate America, we were able to use a lot of our spirituality in the, in the corporate world. I worked in criminal law, and so I'm in cases where I was a paralegal and I was working with some of the most brilliant attorneys in the nation. And we represented people on death row, so I've seen a lot of spiritual things on death row. I've walked with people who have lost their lives, and I've been in courts. And let me just say that if you are Gullah Geechee and you um, are in a courtroom long before midnight in the, in the Garden of Good and Evil, you know, long before that and Minerva and all, we've been practicing our own rhythms in court a long time. What do I mean? I mean that I've sat in court and seen jurors there. And I've seen African-American jurors, and most times it's just one or two of them. But I'll just give them a little contact eye, you know. And then I used to have these high heels on. I don't know, you guys are too young now, but they were called Agner's pumps. And they were wooden heels, you know. And I would sit there and get their eye contact, and I would go like this. And I would just tap my feet in a rhythm like that so I could make contact, just like that. And I would get their attention right there while everybody's sitting. I'll just do my little thing like that. And I would get their contact just to say to them, just tell the truth. Do not be afraid. Just tell the truth. And each time I've done it, I'm telling you, it worked. Because I've had them come to me afterwards and said, you made me tell the truth. You also encouraged me not to be afraid. Just a drumbeat. So what was the first thing they did when these West Africans came here? They took the drum away because that was our communication. Now, is that hoodoo or voodoo? No, that's ancestral practices, and we still have it to this day. There's a 400-year-old beat that we still have, and we do that beat whenever there's good news. Whenever we want good news to come, you'll start seeing and hearing that beat all over from the southern part of the United States to the north and to the west coast, that beat is like ingrained in our culture. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's um, that, that's so. It, it's just so fascinating, truly, and it shows how deep the roots can be yes. of um, folk magic of sorts and. Um, 
you know, even if it isn't connected with hoodoo and voodoo and whatnot, but it's, um, it, it lingers into plenty of different cultures too, you know, Mm. um, where you can call upon your ancestors to connect with you and, um, to assist you with, uh, different practices and whatnot. And it's really interesting to hear your side because, um, you know, I, it's nice. just beautiful to hear that even just a simple beat can make change. It can and move you. It can move you. It really can. That's fascinating. Um, now, yeah. do you personally practice hoodoo or voodoo, or is uh, that a very common um Yeah, so, thing? I, so I, I don't really, you know, when, when people in America say voodoo and hoodoo, you know, I've been to West Africa. I've been to almost eight different countries, I believe, and I've met people from everywhere, and there are thousands of religions so when people kind of earmark it who do voodoo those are like representations of maybe a a few of the tribes but there are so many religions that I can't earmark it I know that because we brought so many tribes to America that were here in Savannah I can't even imagine the planters and what they experienced with them I don't even know whether they realize the different uh, groups of people they brought in terms of tribes. Remember, every last one of those tribes you brought, it had their own religion. And so I just um, think that it has to do with the selection of who you're talking about. If you're talking about voodoo and hoodoo, you're talking mostly about the Caribbean basin. You're not really talking specifically about West Africa or East Africa or South Africa. So it depends on where you are. My uh, husband is from Trinidad and Tobago, so hoodoo and voodoo is very thick there. Mm-hmm. They will tell you in a minute. If someone vexed me, you know, I just went up in the hills and got me some potion and come back down, and the man walking <laughs> backwards now. So they believe that. In Savannah, we would drive from Savannah over to Carolina, Carolina, to see Dr. Buzzett. Mm. And they say he was the master root man. And so I'm telling you, people would get paid from the Longshoreman Hall, get their checks on a Wednesday, and they would go over to Dr. Buzzard and stand in line for potions and recipes because they had people that they wanted to kind of put the voodoo on. So do you believe it or not? It's like real or make-believe. I don't know. My father was from the Carolinas, and he told me something that helped me with all of that. He said, as long as you don't allow the person with the hoodoo and the voodoo and the roots and tank to uh, put this into your system. Like, don't ingest liquids or food waste from people that you don't know. So Gullah people are kind of um, peculiar. They don't eat from everyone. I know people are probably laughing when I say that. They don't. Because of the voodoo and the hoodoo, they'll look at you and say, mm, I don't know if I want to eat from that one right there. And so they won't. So it just depends. So I think that uh, I am not afraid of hoodoo or voodoo. I would love to, you know, embrace uh, anyone from the Dr. Buzzard generation to talk. I respect their religious practices, but I am a child of the universe. I'm Gullah Geechee, and I believe that there's something out there that's bigger than us. And so I just try to respect everybody's religion. But um, for me, I think my linkages are to my ancestors. Whenever we, uh, in my family, I have 10 brothers and sisters, and we'll talk to each other, and we'll talk about this is going on and that is going on, and then after they listen, they'll say, now, say your prayers to God and say your prayers to the ancestors. So that's how we were raised in Savannah, to uh, do twofold. We 
we practice and worship the creator, and then we also call the names of our ancestors. So if there was somebody in our family that's beloved, you better believe if there's some crisis, I'm calling their names. And I'll say, okay, Mama, I know you're up there somewhere. You need to go have a conversation with God and tell him Sister Pat's still down here and kind of fix some stuff up for me so you can look after me. We talk like that all the time. So are those prayers? Well, some say prayers. Some say affirmations. I say that as long as we say their names, their spirits are always with us. I believe that. Names are so important um, in the scheme of things. Um, I know in my personal practice, I... uh, I try to honor as many ancestors that I know the names of uh-huh. still to this day. Um, do you uh, have any specific holidays that are um, specifically to honor ancestors? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we've kind of pulled our own together. Like, for example, the 21st of December is Jubilee Freedom Day in Savannah. We've been doing that now for about eight years. And that's the day we commemorate the enslaved that were here that were actually freed. Um all downtown from City Hall all the way to approximately down by Midtown Forsyth Park. Can you imagine those were all encampments of people that were freed? So I commemorate that day. Wish I was an, uh, a spirit that could have been there to see all of the celebration. They are free. So we, we look at the Jubilee Freedom Day. Some people celebrate Juneteenth. Juneteenth, though, happened six months after they left Savannah and went into Texas. So I want people to know that every community where enslaved people were, find your own Juneteenth. We, our Juneteenth was 62,500 soldiers arrived at City Hall with Mr. Sherman, and he freed us, and he just said, you're free. That's it. So I really love Jubilee, Jubilee Freedom Day is where I do. And um, a lesser known thing that I think um, a lot of historians gloss over in Savannah, specifically uh, can uh, going into General Sherman uh, was right before there was the Ebenezer Creek Massacre. Mm-hmm. And I think that doesn't get talked about enough, it even though not. it was a horrific event. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you're much more knowledgeable about the nitty gritty than I am. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're comfortable with talking about it, would you mind kind of yeah, telling it's like, that story? You know, the trauma of the post-slave uh, com- uh, community experience is still going on in our new generations. So when I get a call to go down and do a, to, to attend the commemoration of Ebenezer Creek a few years ago, I went down and I was more traumatized coming back. Why? Because I saw the graves of the church there, and I don't want to call the wrong church religion. I don't know. I think it was the Episcopal Church, but it could be another one. But they have this fabulous cemetery there, and they have these fabulous gates that are in Dankford, which is the symbols of the Ashante tribe. And the gated community is a cemetery. And then they have this open area where these are the barriers of those from Ebenezer Creek and no markers. One big marker, Ebenezer Creek, these people died. No individual names, no chart as to who they were when they can find out. And then I'm looking at the church who has given the property. And then they have this little reception afterwards. And I wanted to go in there and scream and say, how dare you? Uh, think that this is the proper way to commemorate. You have a fancy cemetery gated, and right over here is just like mass graves, nothing except one little marker. It enraged me because Ebenezer Creek was uh, Sherman's biggest mistake in terms of uh, respect. Uh, The colored soldiers from the Union side had already left the area, so you had elders, women, children, and old men that were following those soldiers and they made that drawstring bridge, and at the end they cut it, and they drowned. 
and they were able to recover the bodies. And I go there, and the bodies are there, and no markers. It just reminds me more and more of Savannah has markers, has no markers too. So all over this place are unmarked burials. No wonder Savannah is known as the most haunted city in America. It is true. We have not honored our dead correctly. Even a stranger cemetery with whites that could not afford to get back home because they were too poor or sailors, we've not honored them. And so I'd, I want to know when does the generation show up that decides that we're going to honor the dead. If we don't do that, the stories will continue and the spirits will continue to be angry around here. Whenever there is a hurricane, Gullah Geechee people say, ah, oh, that's just the spirit of Marcus Garvey. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? Marcus Garvey said, when I leave the earth, I'm going to ask special permission of God to come back in a whirlwind. And so when we see storms that pop up sometimes in little towns like a tornado, and it just destroyed that entire community, we'll go on our computer right away and pull that town up, and what we'll see is traumatic things happen there. They'll say, oh, it's just the spirit of Marcus Garvey done going through there. So I don't know, real or make-believe, um, I know that if you move in the spirit, you'll know when something has um, happened that doesn't feel good. And so people have said all over the country when they come here, I'm in tourism, underground tours. I've had a lot of people from West Africa say, when we enter Savannah, there's a gray hovering on the whole city. And as soon as we leave Savannah and go across the bridge to the Carolinas, it lifts. Mm -hmm. I feel the same exact way. Absolutely. It's so true. You can feel. Yes, you can feel it. You can. It's, um, it's definitely worth noting that you're right. We haven't honored all of our dead. Um, and I mean, we are considered a necropolis, a city of the dead. And so, you know, it's, it's important when you are one of those to make sure that there are proper, um, regards made so that the spirits are living well and at peace. Um, but it's interesting that you bring up the hurricanes and things like that, because I've always wondered, like, mm. why Savannah, it seems like Savannah gets just enough, but mm. not enough to destroy it, yes. no. you know, or harm it too much. And I wonder if that is, um, you know, a protection of some sort. Um, I think it's a protection of West African ancestors that are pouring the strength of everybody here to protect. Listen, when we had several of these evacuations over the past 20 years, 25 years, so, so, um, my mother um, said, uh, I'm not leaving, you know. We've got a forced evacuation. I'm not leaving my house. We're going to stay right here. All of her children are different parts of the country. Some are local. We call, and we say, you've got to get her out. And she says, no, I was born here, and I'm going to die here because that's how God fixed me. Uh, and she stayed in one of the worst storms and prayed. She said she just prayed her way out of the storm. Um, a lot of elders would do that. You don't. You can't get them to leave. And we're in a below sea level town. They're strong in their faith that God will protect, and they will call the names of their ancestors throughout the entire storm, and nothing's happened. I've gone uh, to um, emergency management uh, projects where there's been a storm, a huge hurricane, and I've gone to those areas to help them with water and baby supplies and all. And what I saw in Charleston. Um, was a huge mansion that was totally torn up and like a mile away, a little shotgun house. 
and the people are waving, say, come over here, bring the water. I said, how did this happen? The huge mansion is crumbled, and your house says, well, you know, we have a doorway, a breezeway from the front of the door to the back of the door, and the storm just come through here and just pass on through. Well, that's what they say. We say, the ancestors protected your house. I mean, this mansion is gone, and your little house is standing. I saw that everywhere during the storm. So there are a lot of spiritual things that happen that you cannot explain, but I've seen it happen. I've seen the doctors say to me, for example, uh, you have to call all your brothers and sisters together. Your mother is not going to be with us very much longer. Her vital organs are shutting down. Okay, it's time for her to go. We, we understand. And I say, uh, doctor, how long? He says, the next 48 hours. I said, doctor, you don't know my mother. <laughs> Until all of her children arrive in Savannah, she will not leave. And what happened? 72 hours later, we found my brother who was in the Air Force, and he was in Japan, and the Red Cross found him, and they flew him in. He comes to the bottom of the bed and touches her feet, and she's in a coma, and he says, I am here. He says his prayers. He talks. The, the doctor says the last thing they, can, uh, they lose is their hearing. And he says, I know you can hear me, Mama. I'm here. And he called his name and all of that. We serenaded her, and 10 minutes later, she's gone. 72 hours later, wow. Mr. Doctor, not 48. <laughs> so it's spirit. Mm-hmm. It's determination through the spirit. It really is. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I mean, it, I mean, it shows how strong of a uh, spirit your mom was. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. um, but it's interesting to hear uh, we always seem to talk about, you know, a lot of times uh, faith comes into different uh, aspects of dealing with supernatural or things like that. It seems like the Gullah Geechee people, uh, they have the strongest faith, and that's why they're protected against these, you know, haints and hags and things like that. And um, yeah. it's just very interesting to hear your perspective of mm-hmm. those sort of things. And, um, and it's not all mystical and fantabulous like media likes to make it seem like, yes, you know. Yes, yes, yes. But um, now you are just a wealth of information. Uh, so <laughs> is there you. like a particular um, historical event that you want people to know more about? Historical event. Well, I'd like to project a, a historical event. I think that Susie Kank Taylor should be on the unnamed square. We worked for two and a half years to get it taken off. I think I will project that I look forward to a historical event where we have her place on the square. It just happens to be Taylor Street that runs there, so why not have Taylor Street (laughs) and Taylor Square? I already see her standing there with a cloak, you know, uh, inside lining red satin and outside blue velvet indigo, and she's just standing there because she did so much, you know. She was a teacher, self-appointed and all of that, educated by the abolitionists that were here. And Wright Square, they say they executed, uh, hung uh, abolitionists that helped the enslaved run away. Uh, so that area is haunted, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Susie King Taylor became that nurse, that educator, and a hundred plus people around the nation have honored her. Why not Savannah? So I'm projecting a Taylor Square and a beautiful statue of her there where people can come and learn. And I'm projecting an opportunity to, to heal and uh, commemorate. It's like 
the work that I'm doing in this uh, season is not for me. It's for new generations. Um, I have an elder. She's uh, 93. Her name is Dr. Pat Stewart. Shout out to her. And she says, I'm 90 and some change. I love that. So this coming Thursday, the 23rd of March, I'll be 60 and some change. So it's not for me anymore. It's to enlighten new generations, no matter the color. Um, it's time to heal. And if you can't tell the truth, then how are these young folk going to heal? So tell them what happened. Who cares about critical race theory? Are you guys serious? No one taught me this history in school anyway. So when people are vexed and anxious about, you know, critical race theory and the fact that they're not teaching it, they never did. Hello? You have Internet. There's no excuse for not learning on your own or getting with some people in book clubs. Learn your history, not just African-American history. Learn world history. I didn't do it. I missed it. After that uh, cinnamon roll in the lunchroom at lunchtime, I slept through history. I'm awake now. <laughs> Learn the world history so you'll be able to do the business you need to do for yourself. So it's for you. It's for new generations. So let me project that I look forward to uh, that celebration. In I the completely agree with you. I think yes. she would be a fantastic choice um, to rename that square, mm -hmm. and especially because um, the Massey schools on that yes. square. Even though um, I don't believe she worked with them at all, but uh, the it. The Massey School is a good place to point out, too, historically, because it was the first school uh, to integrate both black and white children yes. into one setting. Um, so having an educator as the name of uh, the square, that would be very yeah. fitting, for uh, sure. Yes, I agree. Well, you know, um, in the process of those two and a half years, I have to say the heroes were the neighbors around the square that were bold enough to help us. Those are the real heroes, and they took everything they could to um, educate the neighbors that opposed them. I wish, I wish, I wish I would have had an opportunity to sit around a table with them and say, now tell me why you want to have a pro-slavery advocate who supported the slave movement in your square when you rise in the morning. Just tell me why. And we never got an opportunity. But those brave uh, neighbors that did it, we loved them so much for their bravery. And listen, they were more brave than Massey because they wouldn't give us their votes, and they had property there that they could have voted. They said, no, we can't vote. We just, we're a school system. We can't vote. And then we asked Western United Methodist Church, and they said they couldn't vote. And so we had the church community that wouldn't even engage in righteousness. And uh, last time I checked, John Wesley was the uh, co-founder with Whitfield, and he was against slavery. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of hypocrisy that went on. I want people to know what happened so that it should never happen again. Try to find some good trouble in your town yes. and stand up for it. And so I say kudos to those brave neighbors that found this good trouble and said, we don't want that guy in our square anymore. We want a nice, beautiful square. And they actually fell in love with Susie King Taylor and her story. So the people... Uh, made the decision, and then the people went to City Hall, and the people said, we want you to change this name, and we want a unanimous vote, and it happened. And I love what the mayor said after the vote. He said, it's now time to have conversations about slavery and freedom. That was just fantastic. So I'd like to celebrate their bravery, too. Absolutely. Yes. Well, 
you know, and history sometimes is ugly and it's uncomfortable to yes. talk about. Um, and Savannah has had a bad tendency of wanting to put a pretty face on things and try to gloss over it because yeah. they don't want to deal with the discomfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there are quite a few people who are either moving to Savannah and learning the history and are not afraid to talk about it because they didn't grow up here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or the fact that, you know, there are younger people who did grow up here and they're like, why are we still acting like this? Yes, you know, ha- they need to have the right information. Right. Yeah. I mean, come on, Savannah. This is our psychosis. We've got to own our truth. If Richmond, Virginia, the first port of entry with commemorations and markers everywhere and a walking path and all those things can own their truth, if Charleston can own their truth, it's time for the third and last port, Savannah, to own their truth as well. It's like, you know, if you're 60 and some change, if you do the math, I was born in the 50s. That means I am that daughter around here of the soil that drank from colored water fountains that Sears Roebuck right there on Henry and Drayton. I am that same daughter that would go down to the river with my brothers and sisters, and they uh, had service windows. You couldn't go into the restaurants. You had to go to a service window. They open it. You place your order, and you stood there in the winter, the summer, spring, or fall, and waited for your order. So I've seen a lot. And so for Savannah to have had a legacy of bringing in these tribes that built Savannah, and they left all of their symbols downtown, like the Adankra symbols, it's time for Savannah to own their truth. It's like this is my um, Adankra symbol here. And this one is uh, a symbol that represents only revere your higher power. And so my daughters talked me into getting it last year for my birthday. I'm not getting it anymore. I told them I'm going to go into heaven with one tattoo. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love this tattoo. It's from the tribe. There are 122 of these symbols, Savannah, all over. Go and Google the Adankra symbols. Uh, Adankra symbols are 122 in number. All of them are positive, and they just sprinkled them on the cotton exchange and all these buildings, and every ironwork downtown, at least two to three of them, are Adankra symbols. Uh, Mr. Kessler's beautiful house on the corner of uh, Gaston near Forsyth and Whitaker. Walk around that beautiful estate, and you'll see Adankra symbols everywhere. So they left their marks, and all of them are positive. So regardless of whether Savannah wants to talk about it or not, the evidence is all around us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So y'all obviously need to go take a tour with Miss Pat uh, because I want to take a tour just so you can point out these things to me uh, just because I think it's so fascinating to notice the smaller details of um, things like that around Savannah. And it's beautiful to uh, be able to see the marks that are left behind in history on a town in general because I didn't know that Kessler had um, any kind of indication left behind on his um, mansion of sorts. Oh, it's everywhere. It's fabulous. It's fabulous. Awesome. The more um, ironworks in your home, the wealthier you are. So he bought that beautiful estate, and it's like everywhere. Just to stand there and take pictures. And and so if you ride around, the most popular of the Dinkra symbols is the upside-down Sankofa heart. It represents love. It's in windows. It's in front of gating. It's everywhere. On the uh, cotton exchange, there is Ezekiel's wheels, Ezekiel wheel in the middle of the wheel is there. I said, wait, wait, now Ezekiel's the Bible, that's Christian. And the first lady of Benin came here, the president's wife, and she said, no, it's not. The Christian faith borrowed these symbols from the Akan tribe, and these are Akan symbols from 2600 BC. So I'm looking at a, a cotton exchange with 41 symbols left by my Ashante that came from 
2600 BC. Wow. Amazing. That is amazing. When it just shows how deep um, and how long the, the culture has been around, yes. even before even it came to Savannah. Yes. And um, so would these be comparable to um, sigils or things like that in other uh, practices and whatnot where it, they can invoke certain power or certain meaning behind it to the wearer or uh, to Absolutely. the place. Absolutely. Um, I mean, when you look up at cotton factors walk, I call it. It's factors walk, but I want to call it cotton factors walk because the cotton dealers were there. And you look up at the Gamble building, you see the banners there, you see that italicized fancy stuff. That's a symbol that represents hope. You walk around Savannah on City Hall on the dome. Look below the flag and you'll see circles all around in ironwork. That represents freedom. So it was done for purposes of protection as well as encouragement. If I'm an enslaved person downtown and I'm working down there and I look up and see a symbol from my tribe, oh, my God, I'm going to have some encouragement. So I think it was intentional. I think it was something to hold, to say, hold on. And it worked. They, they held on for 116 years downtown. Wow. That, that's so interesting. I'm going to go around downtown now looking for yeah, <laughs> all of it, these. Yeah. I want to have an all-day, let me know if you think it's something cool to do, but I'd love to have an all-day uh, citywide scavenger hunt. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be to fun. To find the Adinkra symbols. That would be really cool. And the cool. prize is not going to be first, second, and third prize. I want to have the scavenger hunt that morning on a Friday, and that evening I want to have a Sister Pat Friday night fish fry. Yes. And everybody get a chance to eat some fried fish and Savannah red rice and coleslaw and just have a good time. And I make the best sweet potato pie in the state of Georgia. I really do. All right, then. And if you don't believe me, then come on and let's have a competition. <laughs> but I think we should do that and find these uh, scavenger, I mean, find these uh, symbols. We have found it underground tourists, 91 of the 122. And so we kind of know that we want to find all of them. I suspect now, it's just my theory, I think that if we find all of them, they're telling a story when you put them all together. And so I think we should find them. Okay. I, I like this idea. That sounds yes. great. I mean, and I would love to try your sweet potato pie because, yes. I, I mean, JT and I, you can count us in. But <laughs> cool beans. Come on out. Come on out. Absolutely. We're going to do it. We're going to do it this year. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I think even, um, if anything, a, a Gullah Festival would be really interesting. Ah, downtown. Yeah. I, I think that would be so fascinating because I know there's a couple restaurants that have been popping up recently in the downtown area. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel like that would be super interesting and fun to like learn about yeah. uh, the culture more and have an event for it. So, well, now that you say that, I want to just announce that we have a surprise for Savannah. We have um, opened the Susie King Taylor Center for Jubilee, and it's a house. Uh, it's a beautiful Victorian house built in 1921. It's on the corner of Victory and M.L. King, and we're planning an opening in April, and it will be a downstairs gallery uh, on slavery and healing, uh, visual art from SCAD and others that are participating in terms of some of the fine art there. And we're also going to have culinary celebrations. So every now and then we're going to host a Sister Pat's Table of Grace and you can come out, and the first hour is a luncheon or dinner or brunch buffet, and the second hour is Gullah Geechee storytelling. So we will get a chance to celebrate some of the food ways, and maybe that will lead to a festival. Absolutely. Yes, it would yes. be nice. 
Yeah, yeah so, that would be super cool. It's a yeah. town of festivals, so. Yeah. Oh, yes, <laughs> it is. It truly is. But you can't come to the Susie King Taylor house for the lunch or the dinner or the brunch and be on a diet. You, <laughs> you have to come and just enjoy and go back on your diet the next day. Exactly. Yeah, the food is going to be fabulous. Absolutely. Yes, yes. And um, so on, t- on the topic of more like, uh, I guess, the uh, more spooky things of sorts, mm-hmm. Um is there a particular folk story that your family would tell you uh, when you're growing up? Because I feel like a lot of people have that, like, one ghost story or mm. spirit story that, you know. Yeah, I, I have lived some of those stories. So I think that uh, the one that is um, amazing to me is my mother um, had seven sisters. And she and my aunt were the only one. So two, uh, two of them had children. The other five didn't. And so those other five kind of adopted all 10 of us. So we had an auntie and a godmama. And so whenever my aunts got old, the ones that didn't have children, it was a norm for them to leave Savannah and go back up to a nursing home in the rural area to kind of like live the rest of their lives. They didn't have any children to take care of. So my mother would get a call and say, "Um, it's time for you to get yourself together. Your sister is low. When they say you're low, that means they're sick and they're not going to recover. It's like get, get prepare for, for death to come. And they'll say the person is low. Um, before they say the person is low, you will go visit the person and they'll tell you, I'm traveling. And so uh, if you get the call that they're low, you got to hurry and go see them. So my mother gets the call, says, I got to go see my sister. She's not going to be with us long. This is going to be the last time I'm going to see her. Can you drive me there? I said, yes, I'll drive you there, but I'm not going to go in. I've done this a, a few times, so I'll sit in the parking lot for you. So I sat in the parking lot, and she went into this nursing home. And as I sat in the parking lot, I kept hearing like an engine idling, like someone was waiting for someone, and they just kept the car on. But I never saw the car, but I just heard the engine, so I just sat there. And the engine got louder, and I just kept saying, this person should turn this car off. As I sat there, I began to look in the sky. It had just turned dark around dusk. And I saw the clouds begin to formulate an image. And the image began to formulate so much so, I looked up and I said, oh, my God, that looks like a chariot. A chariot is forming in the clouds. I was by myself in the car. I thought, okay, sister, you're going going to go crazy here but let me just check so I got out of my car and I went to some other cars people were waiting um I'm not crazy do you see something in the sky they look up and say no we don't see anything I go back to my car my mother comes out that's the last time I'm gonna see my sister let's go on back to Savannah and so I said before we go back do you see something in the sky she said yes I said what do you see mom she said, a chariot. I said, you see a chariot? She said, yes. I said, so how come we're the only ones that see it? She said, oh, that chariot up there is waiting for my sister. I said, what are you saying? She said, all my sisters have left here with the chariot bringing them home. Wow. So it's not like one time. She says it happens all the time. As soon as we get back to Savannah, 30 minutes later, the phone call, she's gone. She said, oh, yeah, the chariot picked her up. We saw it. Wow. We saw it. 
So do you think that was her sisters sending the, the chariot to pick her up? Or is that more so something that's deeper than... I think it's spirit. I think the spirits are with us. I think that if you say their name, they'll always live. And I think that each one of my relatives have been assigned someone to come and get them. Like for me, I know that when I leave here, I am not afraid of death. But I think that when I leave here... Um, it won't be um, a relative, uh, like a sibling or parents or anything. It'll be my beloved friend that I lost. I think that um, she will be the one to come for me. I just believe that. It's like, you know, we'll go and we'll bid folks goodbye, and then the Gullah Geechee people will say in a whisper, we'll see you in the morning. I think that she will come for me. So I'm okay. But, yes, I think the chariot is their methodology of how they left here, and I think that there are other ways as well. Um, I have brothers and sisters all over the world, and when my father died, uh, he um, sent us away and said, come back next week, and he knew he was leaving. So we went back and flew back to our towns. My brother called me from Cologne, West Germany, in the middle of the night, and he said, Daddy's gone. I said, I know. He said, how did you know? Who called you? I said, nobody called me. He knocked on the door three times. I actually heard that all the way in Atlanta. So believe it or not, that's the question. Do you believe it? I'm telling you what I lived. And maybe because of that, I'm not afraid because I know that my ancestors are always uh, with me and and protect me. I believe it. Um, I have not ever dreamed of my mother, and she's been gone since 2003, 20 years. And uh, in the last uh, six months, I had a dream. And in the dream, this is a kind of a spiritual confession. I've not even shared this with my brothers and sisters, but I want them to kind of pay attention, you know. Um, My mother came to me in the dream, and we have a 10th brother that is special needs, and he was living with a relative, I always wanted him to live with me, but that was the decision the group made. And so I would always go visit and check on him. Well, in the dream, my mother came to me, and she said, it's time to go and get him. And then she paused in the dream and said, I mean it. And it startled me so much in the dream. I told my daughter about the dream. She said, let's go right now. We went to get him, and I think that it was the perfect time because that caregiver, the relative, was not taking good care of him. And so my mother's spirit said, go get him now, and I mean it. I went that same day. I said, come, let's go for a walk. Let's go get something to eat. And I took him with me, and I called my cousin, and I said, he's never coming back to your house again. He's now with me. So whatever you guys want to do, let's go, because my mother has given me the orders from her grave. Go see about him. And I mean it. You don't have a dream like that and ignore it. Absolutely. So I'm thinking if, if I don't go, then something will happen to me. She said, I mean it. Maybe she'll haunt me forever. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to go get him. And we're having so much fun with him now. He's, he's supposed to be right with us where he is. Absolutely. Yes. Well, and I feel like so many people have had um, experiences with that where family members are like, I got to come give them a message because, yeah. you know, sometimes we ignore signs um, just from living life. It's... Um, 
Mm-hmm. It's easy to do when you're not looking for them. Yes. And sometimes your family members or your spirit guides, whoever it is, have to come and slap you upside the head uh-huh. and be like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you need to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it is interesting, though, that, um, yes, yes. you know, the synchronicity of all these events for you, yeah. you know. And there are some taboos that people don't talk about. I think it's educational, but there are some taboos in the Gullah Geechee community in terms of spirituality. Like they will say, uh, my father would say that he was born with a veil on his eyes. I'm like, what do you mean, Dad? He said, I can see uh, spirits. I can see them. And, of course, that frightened me because it's like, no, I don't want to have that. Don't give me that trade. I don't want that. But I could see all the time when he was interacting with people, he had that power. And so I decided I don't want to fight it. I'm not going to claim it. But as I get older, I also can um, sense spirits being around. I can also uh, see uh, uh, shadows of spirits around some people. I probably had the power. I haven't used it, but I know I have the power to go and tell them, so-and-so, be careful. This is going to happen. That I don't. I have dreams. I'm number seven. My mother's number seven. And my grandmother was number seven. And we're the three people in our family that had dreams. And we have dreams that um, give warning. So I do that, but I don't share it. I just say my prayers when something happens. I don't want people to be alarmed, but I do have that quote-unquote power. Uh, Well, and that's an interesting thing to note because um, we have listeners who write into us oftentimes where they – are talking about how they're like, I had these abilities when I was little, but I pushed them away or I turned them off, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and now they're coming back. Not everybody wants to lean into those abilities, you know, and sometimes it just is what it is. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, I only recently, since we started talking about this podcast, uh, would openly discuss my ability to see spirits and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, But it got and people are like, well, didn't that freak you out as a child? And I'm like, oh, of course it did. And but there, it gets to a point where you just can't ignore it you anymore, yeah, yes. you know. Um, and especially if you live in Savannah, because it's just they're they're everywhere. You yes, you, yes, you can't yes. ignore them, and they're very forceful about it. So yeah, I was on a plantation drive to drop someone off, and the lady said, "Wait now, slow down a minute, Miss Pat." And I said, "Why?" She said, "My relatives are crossing the road." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I slow down. <laughs> I was like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's okay. I don't, I, I think if you've not done anything to harm them, what do you, you know, you, you should be afraid. No, I'm not afraid. I do know there are angry spirits out there, and I try not to, you know, be in their way, but is, is it me that is offending them, or is it someone else? So if I'm in that kind of environment, I tend to just leave that space, but I know that there are very lots of angry spaces downtown. And one of those spaces downtown is angry as City Hall. Mm-hmm. And it's not political. It's just that there have been so many things that have happened there that it's been terrible. There are spirits all over City Hall. So I don't know folks who have been there and worked there. I know you've probably encountered them. I know a lot of the workers down in some of the restaurants on the river tell me about their basement areas and ghosts and, and sounds and all. Uh, lots of opportunity to do some exploration, some more exploration. But they're real. They're here. Absolutely. Well, you know, that entire area of downtown is just full of spirits and yeah. whatnot. I mean, um, 
anytime you're near a big body of water, I feel like it kind of generates them and feeds true. into it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it makes sense that they would collect kind of near that area. But, yes, yes. you know, Savannah, it doesn't have a ton of malevolent spirits. They're here, but they're not um, angry in the sense of violent. And I think no. that's important to note, Very too. Very so. Yes, yes. Yeah, so if I'm walking on River Street and I'm walking on those ballast stones, I try to reflect and imagine the, the work that was done to put them down there by the enslaved. But as I'm doing that, one day I was on the river coming up from City Hall to ballast stones, and they're going into the factor's walk area, and I actually saw a, an enslaved woman's spirit, uh, a dress and clothing and layers, walking on the river, on the wa- water, coming up on the ballast stones with like all of her work supplies. I saw it. It's like um, it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a fearful piece. She was just walking, and she walked right past me and went on up. And I just stood there and said a prayer. Mm-hmm. It's like she wanted me to know I was here. I I was down here and I did some work here. Right. Well, and that's another thing. It's not all spirit encounters are scary and um you know like horror filled chris says that all the time yes um you know it's uh sometimes it is simply they want acknowledgement they want to feel like they're not being ignored and that um you know that their presence matters in a way it's because you got to think about it people these were people at one point they were alive and walking around these places that doesn't just go away after they left their marks they left their marks exactly and you know um especially with savannah with just all of the things that have happened here all of the a mixed bag of emotions that have happened Mm -hmm. you know those aren't just going to get erased uh, once the people are gone so um, but Ms. Pat, this has just been such a wonderful conversation. My honor. Thank you yes. so much for joining us. My honor. My honor. So, uh, spirits and not ghosts, Gullah <laughs> people, and I'll show up. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes, yeah. But yeah, you are just such a a wonderful wealth of knowledge, and uh, thank, thank you, so you for sharing your culture with us. My it's, honor. Um, but if y'all want to take a uh, tour with Miss Pat, you can find her at Underground Tours of Savannah. Is that, that that's yes. the correct name? Okay, that's perfect. Yes. Come see us. Come walk with us. Um, we'll be glad to host you. Absolutely. Yep, and JT will put a link uh, to her tours in the description. So if you want to take a tour, definitely come uh, check her out. Uh, But thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Uh, If you don't already follow us on social media, you can follow us under Haunted City Podcasts um, on all platforms. And also, if you do want to hear more... um, Uh, conversations like this or just various paranormal investigations and whatnot that we're doing go check us out on patreon um become a para junkie hang out with us more often but uh with that though y'all my name is madison timmons i'm chris susie and stay spooky y'all